Well, like Sarah mentioned, we are finishing up our part two of Minor Prophets' major lessons. This is uh, only the middle four that we're talking about, so we, we haven't been doing all 12. We'll finish that up actually next year, the beginning of next year. We did the first four last year, and so we're going to finish up the series with the final three chapters, with well, only three chapters of Habakkuk. Can I short read? Hopefully you've been reading through the text of we, as we've been going through this series as we've talked about what it looks like for us to love our enemies through Jonah and what it means to actually believe in God's mercy and to share that with other people. As we've gone through Micah, who's helped us to understand what it means to have God as judge and what it means for us to participate alongside of him as we are doing what he's commanded us. Nahum, last week, helps us process the existence of evil and God's timeline for dealing with it because he will deal with it. And Habakkuk, this morning, will help us draw the conclusion on what we trust our future hopes to when we are caught in the middle and surrounded by people who do not share our same faith and are not living the way that God has called us to. Getting caught in the middle is, uh, is no fun. I don't know when the last time you felt that you've gotten caught in the middle, but one of the things that I think about, one of the things that happened to me a few years ago with my wife Renee we got caught in the middle of a huge crowd of people. So this, this happened a couple different times, but this one, this one was kind of interesting. We were in New York City. We were there for our anniversary. We had just come out of a New York Yankees game, which is, that was great. That was enter- entertaining. And we were hitting the subway to head back to, to our hotel. And it's one of those, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, but you get to the stairs and you realize there's this huge mass of people. You're all packed in like sardines. And you, just, you have no agency whatsoever at that point. You are just at the mercy of the crowd. And so as soon as those subway doors open, you know, everybody shoves in and you kind of shuffle down the stairs and you get on the platform and you're just kind of hoping that nothing, nothing grows, goes wrong. I mean, obviously everything went well. I, I just don't, I don't, I don't like being, not being in control in a situation right like that. I mean, I want to have an exit strategy. I don't even like sitting with my back to the door. I don't know. Is that a guy thing? I don't, I don't know if it's just, or maybe that's just a me thing. Maybe I'm a little neurotic about that kind of stuff. Who knows? Um, some of us know what it's like to get stuck in the middle with parents. Maybe it's something a little bit more lighthearted, like when you're trying to pit them back and forth against each other because you want to go spend the night at your friend's house. So you go ask your mom, you know, she didn't give you the answer you're looking for, so you go ask your dad. He gives you the answer you're looking for, and so, hey, the, you know, come on, you guys figure this out. Let me go, let me go. The other day, my kids uh, asked for another donut, and my wife said no, and they asked me, and I said yes, but for some reason, they didn't, they didn't listen to me. Like, they didn't take me up on my yes. They, they went with their mom's no, so I don't know what that says about you know, smart children. Yeah, maybe, maybe they are. Maybe they're smart, smart kids. For some reason, none of them are brave enough to go with my, my answer, but oh well, they're lost. Uh, on a m- more serious note, you may know what it's like. Maybe you grew up knowing what it was like to be kind of in the middle of a tug of war between your mother and your father. Maybe you know what it's like to be stuck in the middle with coworkers. You know, maybe your boss is telling you one thing. Maybe your coworkers, you know, maybe your customers are telling you some, something else, pull, pulling you in another direction. Maybe you uh, know what it's like, especially over the past couple years, with all kinds of different opinions and positional extremes. Everybody's acting like they've lost their mind and basic human decency has gone out the window, and so you know what it's like to be stuck in the middle with things like that. Uh, Maybe you've been stuck in the middle breaking up a fight. A couple times in college, a couple times in high school, I remember being in that situation where I'm trying to keep one person off of another person, so you kind of know what it's like to be in that tension. Maybe the most absurd fight, my friend Doug uh, sent me this video that I've seen lately. Have you seen the viral video that went out about Golden Corral? 
and, and the people that lost their mind fighting over somebody got their steak first, and so they're throwing like tables and chairs, and you see these poor Golden Corral servers getting in, getting in the middle and trying to calm these people down because they didn't get their Golden Corral steak. I mean, imagine a world in which, in which you fight over Golden Corral steak. You know, that's just, that's just kind of where, where we are. People are just dumb. And then, like we spent some time praying about this morning, and Sarah led us in this, then you've got some more sobering realities where you've got the Russian invasion of Ukraine um, and, you know, war being fomented over false pretenses. And you just think about the people that you've seen. I mean, some of the videos and some of the pictures that you see out of that. And, and yet you know, because we've seen these too, that there are people on both sides of the issue that don't want this at all. And they're stuck they're stuck in the middle, and yet people, people lost their minds, you know, and, and something that should not be is happening because we live in a world that's broken. And it's easy to get caught in the middle between what's right and what's wrong. And sometimes we're pulled between two loyalties. Sometimes it is between what's right and what's wrong. Sometimes we just get stuck between wrongs, and the tension of trying to stick with what's right can be difficult, if, if not seemingly impossible for us. In this, And so we have to be prepared for living in the in-between and with the consequences of being stuck in the middle between the wrongs that exist in our world. And, and just flat-out truth is that when we follow God, we will get caught in the middle. So if you, if you aren't in that place now, you don't feel like that, that's the case, I mean, at some point in your life, just, just because we follow God and are being who he's called us to be, at some point we will get stuck in in the middle. Not because we're trying to straddle the fence and make both sides happy, but because people in the extremes of the spec spectrum, and obviously I'm assuming a biblical worldview here when I say that, find the narrow path of Jesus too constricting for their passions. And look, we're, we're all guilty of this. We've all, we've all been in that place in our life. And in, Hab in Habakkuk, if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to that so you can uh, look through and flip through. In Hab Habakkuk, Habakkuk, we find a prophet who is tasked with a message of someone who's stuck in the middle. He's stuck on the one side, the southern kingdom of Judah, and on the other side, we have the Babylonians who've overtaken Assyria as the premier power in the region. So if you've been with us the past couple weeks, you remember we've talked about the Assyrians quite a bit. Now that Babylon is, uh, Babylonia is, is coming up in power. Judah, the southern kingdom, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel is gone at this point. They've been overtaken by the, by the Assyrians. Judah, the southern kingdom, is following in the same mistakes and footsteps that the northern kingdom had. So they completely left God in the dust. They weren't following him. They didn't care what he had to say, how he was leading them. Judah kind of stuck around. They hung out a little, little bit longer, but they are following the same, uh, same uh, path that that the northern kingdom has. Here's a quick reminder and summary of God's long tipperedness that's called back to last Sunday with his people. So here's, here's what's been going on. Second Chronicles chapter 36. The Lord, God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. And so we find ourselves where the majority of the people in the southern kingdom of Judah had, had just let their spirituality, their faith in God, ebb and flow with that of their political leaders. So whoever was in power at the time, they kind of directed the spiritual trajectory of the entire, uh, entire nation in, in, those, in those moments. And uh, they were becoming more and more like the kingdoms that surrounded them, which is a problem for the people of God who are supposed to be set apart from everyone else. There were still those who cared to be faithful among them, 
but it was an uphill battle trying to convince the majority why how they were behaving wasn't going to lead them to where they thought they were going. And so this is where we find Habakkuk in the beginning, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1, talking to God, exasperated about the situation that the kingdom of Judah is in. So the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received is this, how long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry, or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Now, the way that we've talked about the nations and surrounding kingdoms, you might think, oh, well, Habakkuk is talking about all the surrounding kingdoms and nations and how they're acting, and God, when are you going to wipe them off the face of the earth? He's actually talking about his people. He's talking about the kingdom of Judah. This is how bad things had gotten in, in this moment. They've adopted the cultural idols and practices of the world around them. And so Habakkuk is, is speaking out against this continued increase of lawlessness, injustice, wickedness, and rebellion that the people of God had adopted from the world around them. So in this dialogue with God that he has in the first couple of chapters of Habakkuk, he's wanting to know what, what are you going to do, God, about correcting this behavior? All these things, all these wrongs that we see happening around us, what are you going to do about it? Habakkuk is offended here by the actions of his neighbors, and he's tired of seeing them get away with it. Maybe, maybe you can re- relate a little bit about that, by that. Here's God's response in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. Look at the nations and watch, and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people, who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. Now, if, if we could place, place ourselves in Habakkuk's shoes at this response from God, um, we, we would be incredulous in this moment. We would be stunned, we'd be shocked, we'd be freaked out, we'd be thinking, what in the world, what in the world are you going to do here, God? What, what, is this, what does this mean? I mean, Habakkuk knows about the up and down faithfulness of the people of Israel and how they've obeyed God and things have gone well, and then because things went well, they ignored God, and then that's when things fell apart, and then God, you know, up and down, up and down, up and down, uh, is the history of, of, of God's people. And he knows that that's the process, but all along the way, there's been this cohesive identity, you know, in, in the people, in their political structure, in their land and autonomy, and now God is saying he's going to take all of that away. And Habakkuk is not at all thrilled with this response. In, in fact, he kind of responds as you keep reading through the chapter. He's kind of, well, well, hold on. Surely things aren't that bad. You know, that that's the thing that you would allow, allow to happen. And so he actually finishes off chapter 1 with a whole other complaint. First it was about the kingdom of Judah. Now it's about the Babylonians. Now saying, wait, they're, they're, that's not fair. You know, they're far worse than, than our people are. And this, this kind of comes across to me as one of those conversations that you have with somebody who doesn't really understand what an if-then statement means. And if then conditional, um, you know, especially when it, com- it comes time for the then part of the if then statement to come to fruition. Uh, for, for example, if you do not clean up your room, then you will not be able to watch the game. Purely hypothetical, not, not an actual conversation that I've ever had multiple times in my, in my life. And yet somehow we will find a way to argue with that statement. Because somewhere along the, uh, uh, the way, we get this idea that we should be the exception to the rule. And that's why we find ourselves, as we get older and older and, and um, 
have more agency and decision-making power in our lives. That's why we find ourselves often ignoring if-then statements in life, and then we complain about the consequences. Uh, it's easier to blame something or someone else rather than deal with how we've handled our own, our own decisions. And what Judah is about to go through, same thing Israel went through, is, is, is happening because they didn't listen to God's if-then. If you operate like everybody else in the world, if you live like all the other kingdoms do, if you want kings and kingdoms and all the political power and the, and the wealth and all that kind of stuff, if, if that's the thing that you care about and you're going to be focused on, then you're going you're gonna to maybe achieve some of the things, but you're also going to adopt all the problems that come with it. You want to look like everybody else, you're going to get the same problems as everybody else. You know, but some, for some reason, we don't want the consequences that come with it. And so Habakkuk has this little bit of a, if, if you read in, in the first part of chapter 2, Habakkuk has this little bit of a tantrum moment with God. And he says, you know what? I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to wait until you give me a better answer. And, and that's, that's, that's what he says. I'm going to wait until I get an answer that I'm, I'm more okay with. And this is God's response to Habakkuk. Chapter 2, verse 2. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end, and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. And so what's happening here is even though God owes Habakkuk or anyone else, or anyone else for that matter, no explanation whatsoever, God tells Habakkuk exactly what's going to happen ultimately when, it's, when it comes to how he's dealing with the wrong things of this world and what happens when we are caught in the middle of those things and they're surrounding us on all sides. And this is something that God shows over and over and over again throughout Scripture. Is that we are not at the mercy of what is wrong in the world. We are at the mercy of the one who makes things right in, in the world. And so we're the ones who, despite of what's going on around us, what we're surrounded by, we're the ones who stand faithfully in the middle. We stand up for what's right. We were the ones who get in the middle and break up the fights. We're the ones who pursue peacemaking in our lives. We are the ones who pursue kindness, mutual respect and conversation, even if nobody else is doing that. We're the ones who stand in the middle, believing in the potential of spiritual transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit. And while we might not know the outcomes of the conflicts around us and what the consequences, the wrongheadedness around us will, will bring, we're reminded through Habakkuk that the righteous will live by faith. And so what God tells Habakkuk is, hey, you might not be hearing an answer that you like, but you need to trust me. Because time and time again, I've proven my faithfulness, and I will make the wrong that's right. And so, long story short, even though, even though Israel, or the the southern kingdom of Judah is going to be punished by the Babylonians, and, and God is allowing the natural consequences of their wanting to be involved in the kingdom stage the way that, way that they are. I mean, that's, that's what's happening there. They caught the attention of the Babylonians. They're going to come, and they're going to conquer them. Even though God is allowing that to happen, that's not the end, end of the story. And so some of the, sometimes the consequences of wrongness, I mean, that, that happens because that's the, that's the world that we live in. It's broken, broken by sin, but that's not how God leaves things ever. And the righteous will live by faith. Consider these words from Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, and other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. 
You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, and this is a quote from Habakkuk, but my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. So both here in Hebrews and in Habakkuk, we are reminded of the pattern of God's promises, that he continues to show up and he continues to make things right. It's a pattern that I've observed in large and small ways all throughout my, my life. I've seen this in the lives of others. And for the things that are not yet right in the world, or maybe not yet right in my life, I'm choosing to live by faith, trusting in the one who has continued to be faithful. And that's what he calls Habakkuk to, that's what he calls his people to. God's plan is about more than just any one individual, Jesus notwithstanding. And while we are a part of his plan, his plan does not pulsate to the beating of our heart. Rather, it's our hearts that are meant to match the rhythm of his, of his and the beat of his rhythm, because that's the faith that we were created for. So when we are caught in the tension in the middle, we don't shrink back, we aren't crushed under the weight, but we have the strength needed to see it through in the faith that God sustains us in. And sustains us with. And so how do, how do we develop that? Like, where, where do we get to that point? Um, one of the things that we're going to do over the next 40 days, and this kind of coincides with uh, the time of, of Lent, is that we are inviting, and I'm asking you to join me as an entire church, to enter into a time of prayer and fasting. Um, there are lots of different reasons to do this. You look through Scripture, there's a lot of different reasons to fast. And, of course, you know, we're always supposed to be in prayer and conversation with God and communicating with Him. Uh, but on a, very, on a very basic level, it's for us to orient our lives around who God is rather than who we are. And so it's moments where we give it. And, and every time you read in Scripture and it talks about fasting, it's specifically talking about food or meals, you know, th- those kinds of things. Um, but it doesn't have to be just, just that. If, if you uh, choose to participate in that. So I'm not going to go into the whole like, medical stuff and, and what you might have going on, those, those kinds of things. But what I want to do is I want to ask you to join in this practical next step of, of continuing to live by faith and continuing to be directed by who God is despite what might be going around us or might, what might be happening in us and in our lives. Um, there are a couple of ideas, there's several, there's a list of things, there's information, all that kind of stuff on velocitychurch.info. If you look, there's a card there that just says 40 days of prayer and fasting. Um, if you want a quick and easy way to get to that right now and check it out, you can do, you can do that right now. You're not going to bother me if you're on your phone or that kind of thing, but you can use the QR codes that are on the back of the seats in front of you. you just take out your phone, use your camera app, it'll scan it, you can click on the URL, it'll go, go straight to that, you can read more about that. Prayer is the di- dialogue we participate in between our head and our heart and God's head and heart. Speaking, yes, conversationally with God, but listening even more so. Fasting is a reminder for focus on what sustains us. Like I mentioned before, fasting from food is what the Bible is referring to um, because it helps us to keep our perspective on what we need. Yes, it, well, wait, are you saying we don't need food? No, I'm, I'm saying we do need food, but we need God even more than food. Maybe something, maybe something to think about or contemplate on. We need God even more. And it helps us to orient us to 
the one who holds the future, the one who holds the future for my life, for your life, for our family's life, for our community's life, for our country's life, for the world's life. I will trust whatever comes, and I prepare myself in that by focusing and centering myself on who God is. You know, eventually, the world as I know it, you know, what Habakkuk is coming to understand through God's word is that the world as he knows it is going to be destroyed. It's going to be completely turned up, upside down. And he doesn't know where, where that's going to head or where that's going to go, but as he thinks about it and as he processes it through chapter, chapter 2, he realizes and comes to the conclusion that God is still the same. And he still saves his people. And he still fulfills his promises to, uh, to have a better hope and a better future. And so Habakkuk chapter 3 is actually a song that Habakkuk writes. Uh, you can think of it as a hymn. As he, as he reads this, I'm not going to sing it to you, but I'm going to read a few verses from Habakkuk chapter 3. And this is, this is what Habakkuk says in response to what God has told him. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet, despite all that, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. So while we're stuck in the middle, while we're waiting for life to continue, for God to do his thing, for him to fulfill his promises, while we deal with the consequences of wrongness, and evil and sin around us, for the unanswered questions of life, for which I, I, I don't mean to say that there are answers, but maybe ones that we're not convinced of quite yet, we have a choice of how we're going to handle that. And it's whether to have faith and to trust in God that he will fulfill his promises or for us to trust in some other thing. I mean, it could be some other, some other idea or some other thought process that exists in the world. It could be some other materialistic thing that we put our faith or our trust in. It could be some other spiritual idea, or it can be in the one who gives us the fullest understanding of life through faithfulness in his righteousness. When we're stuck in the middle, one of the things that Habakkuk helps us to remember is that our present faith will be rewarded through God's future righteousness. And it's something that he always promises to sustain in us. And he always promises to bring to fruition in our life. We see it in big and small ways as we live and as we go and as we are faithful to who he has called us to be. And that will remain true for whatever is to come in the future. God is sovereign. God is merciful. He is just. And he is worthy of our faith and our trust and allowing him to hold our future in his hands. Let's pray. God, whether, whether we feel stuck right now or will at some point in the future have at some point in the past, we ask for the wisdom that only you can provide for the perspective we need to see how you are faithful to keep your promises to us that, that our faithfulness in the moment will, um, will not be left ineffective. That as we follow through, as we rely on the strength of your Holy Spirit, that you, you bring us to where we need to be. 
And God, we give you glory for that. We, we give you praise and honor for you being sovereign, for you ultimately having the final word, and that we know that that final word means hope and joy and peace and love in our lives when we hold on to you. We thank you for this, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.